You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation, and hope. I am Russell Manser, and this is The Stick Up. Lewis Clark, welcome to The Stick Up. Welcome, man. I'm happy to be here, man. How are you lot over there? Really good. Really good, man. I've been, um, I've been doing some research on you last night, and I'm blown away by your story i think wow like there's a book there's a movie in this i would love for something like that to happen you know i've got a lot of untold stories what i'm saving for a book actually i've only told half my life story on these podcasts so there's a lot more juicy gossip coming mate like i was sort of i was watching it last night and i was like obviously when i do a podcast i like to research someone and i was there's a lot of similarities in your story and my own story so but we'll get through to that but listen, let's just start up, you know, where'd you grow up? Where did, where did it all start? So um, I'm from the UK, from London, South London, Battersea, 36 years old. So I spent majority of my years in London. And what's the family structure? How many kids? So I've got two brothers. I've got my own daughter now. My brother's got like five boys as well. So there's, there's a load of boys in the family. Okay, so you grew up. Your dad was a career criminal, would be fair to say? Oh uh, yeah, dad dad's been in and out of prison the majority of my life. He's he's an old he's an old school armed robber as well. He's he's waiting for his pro answer as we speak. Mate, what was it like growing up when your dad is in and out of jail? I've got an interest in this because I spent thirteen years away from my own kids' life and I'm 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 interested to hear it from a a perspective of a of a family member. Do you know what? Even though, like, my dad's been in and out of prison my whole life, I've never gone without. You know, like, birthdays, Christmases, I've always had presents, I've always had nice clothes. So even when my dad's doing these big sentences, like, 10 years, seven and a half years, I've always been all right. But what I needed more was a father figure, you know? Yeah, my my son said that to me recently. He goes, Dad, I, I just needed you to be a daddy. Man, he touched my heartstrings. You know what I mean. He said I needed you to be there on the at the sporting games, and I needed to look over and see you were there, encouraging me. And it broke my heart. And uh, him and I are working, or both of my sons and I are working for a lot at the moment. All right. So, when did you first start getting in trouble? So um, the first ever time I got nicked, um, I was playing for a football team, and um, all none of the boys got on with the football manager, and someone's hit the football manager in the back of the head. And I got the blame for it. Um, so I had the old bill at my door for um, I got nicked for GBH with intent. I went to a youth court in which I got a not guilty for. Mate, well, is that pro- mate, it's a bit of an eye-opener when you first go through that court process, isn't it? Yeah, it, it was. I just remember being in front of the judge and I felt like I was back at school. You know when you're at a headmaster's office waiting to be told off? Yeah. So I was thankful there was actually some witnesses there who see someone else hit the football manager and not me. Mate, you grew up in a tough area, man. Like, I, I know a bit about your area. You and your brother were the only two white kids in your area that you grew up in. 
Yeah, do you know what? Um, well, growing up to the age of like 14, it was like a load of white people in the estate. And then I realised once I got to like 13, 14, a lot more black people started coming onto the estate. Majority of my friends are all black. So out of like 50 people, it'd just be me and my brother and maybe my cousin, the only white fellas. So yeah. we, we used to proper stand out all the time. Was there a process of having to sort of prove yourself, like fighting and stuff like that? Did you have to sort of go to another level? Not really, you know. Me and my brother had it pretty good. When my dad had quite a big name in South London, we was kind of left alone, you know. So we was very well respected. Yep. And the only time we really got tested is when we ventured out of our estate and onto other estates and when we started getting into selling drugs and stuff. And this is the sort of the start of the postcode wars, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely nonsense. Looking back on it, but at the time you just you live for that sort of stuff, don't you? Oh, mate, it, it, things just seem so normal. You know, like gunshots being let off. These things felt normal in my life at the time. You know, like I've witnessed at least ten shootings. I've nearly been shot about five times. I've lost a few friends to shootings and stabbings. My brother's been shot five times. I've been stabbed. My brother got stabbed five times on a separate occasion. I don't know how he's still breathing. Tell me about this. I was watching something in the James English interview last night. And you're talking about gunfights in the streets, with, even with machine guns involved. Yeah. This is what my brother actually got hit with. We was uh, walking to the shop one evening. It was a summer's evening. We, he was in his flip-flops. I just remember an, um, a motorbike. We call them thongs. We call them thong- flip-flops in Australia are called thongs. What? They're called thongs. Oh, I can't say I wear thongs <laughs> over him. I get in trouble. <laughs> that's only on a Friday night and you call thongs G-strings oh. <laughs> <laughs> mate tell us about t- oh, sorry to interrupt you there I just had the I think it's a funny point Australia's have got a song a, a saying called well bugger me and you guys take that as a whole different way <laughs> bugger me bugger me it says oh. <laughs> you can't be saying that while you're in prison mate come and bugger me <laughs> <laughs> All right, so talk, talk about how your brother first got shot. Yeah, so it was a summer's evening. We was walking up to the shops. We all had our shorts and T-shirts on. And I just remember a motorbike revving. And then, you, you know, when you just know something's about to go off, mm. we've looked over to my over to my right shoulder, seen the bike revving start coming, but they're, they're shooting already. So the first shot has actually got my brother in his Achilles tendon, and it's dropped oh. him straight away. So my brother and my other pal standing directly behind me, so they're taking all the shots. If I was behind them, it'd be me getting all the shots. So my brother's been shot once in the Achilles, his thigh, a few in his back. And then my other pal's been shot in his shoulder, had his little finger shot off. And the poor fella had a broken leg at the time as well. So he couldn't really run far. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as he's been shot now, he's laying on the floor. But I'm I'm already hiding behind the bin at the bottom of this hill. So as I'm hiding now, I'm already on the phone to the ambulance saying, can you come and get my brother? He's dead. I didn't tell him what's happened or anything. I said, listen, come and get my brother. He's dead. He's here. This is the road. Come and get him. Because I thought he was dead. It's not until I looked up and I see the motorbike ride off, drive off. I run back up there, covered up all these bullet holes, and I just laid on top of him until the um, ambulance arrived. But over here... The police have got to attend first, and then the ambulance come after. But they, the police didn't really care because there's so much of that around there. The first thing they said to me is, "Are you going to go and retaliate over there now?" 
They didn't once yeah. ask if I'm all right. Obviously, you would have been traumatised from that scene, what happened to your brother. I do not like loud noises anymore. Like motorbikes that pull up next to me, especially if I'm driving, I get the wheel ready just to knock them off just in case. Yeah. I'm ready for it. That's a traumatic response, isn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's, it's not it's not the first occasion that I've been shot at. The, the occasion before that, we was on the same road, just outside the pub. All the boys having a drink. I remember this fella come in the middle of the road, started shooting again. Do, 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 do. The bounce has been shot straight in his head. I just remember walking over his dead body and back into the pl- pub, jumped over the bar. All the boys were hiding. We managed to get out the back door and back onto the estate. Like, it's crazy because I started questioning myself. I started thinking, was I even really there? Like, did this really happen? And I had, it's not until I had to go on Google and be like, I was like, oh my God, all of this is actually real. It happened, you know? Like, I'm all shaking because I remember that night so clear, you know? Did you have nightmares after that? Like, yeah, I'm very jumpy. Like, right now I'm yeah. shaking because I can remember the night very, very clear. And what was this all in regards to? Was it regards to the postcode wars? Was it square ups? Was it revenge? Was it. A lot, a lot of it was people selling drugs on each other's turfs and stuff, you know? Like, we had our estate, and if they'd try and come over here to start selling their drugs on our estate, then we'd retaliate and vice versa. Or they might have robbed one of our lot for like maybe like a kilo of weed or something. So we've gone back over there to rob them. And it all started back in like the year 2000, I'd say. Like backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. I've got friends doing 33 years in, in prison, like life sentences. I never, I never understood those big, like same here in Australia. There's a, there's a really violent jail called Goulburn and I call it the yard of regret, and there's all these blokes doing over twenty-five year bottom sentences and that sort of stuff. And man, that looks that looks somber, man. I was watching what you said last night, and these blokes just regret every day of it. You know, they regret every they day. Do. I remember I went, I went to I went to visit one of my friends. Like he's in one of the toughest prisons in the UK, called Whitemore. He's like twelve years in to a thirty-three year sentence now. If you if you see his face, you can. He, there's it's full of regret. You know. Yeah, and a lot of his so-called friends are not there anymore. He's forgotten about, yeah. just like that. But yeah, we're all yeah. meant to be this big team. Meant to be this big team looking after each other. It doesn't go like that. You go to prison, you get totally forgotten about. You get three or four people who look after you. But yeah, there was like hundreds of us. You went to a juvenile justice centre, didn't you? The first time you ever got locked up. Yeah. So um, on that occasion, I, I remember my dad was in prison doing a ten and a half year prison sentence for um, security vans, money vans, and I've always kind of wanted to do what he done. So I remember um, there's filling up a cash machine. I just remember creeping up on this guy. He was going to fill up a cash machine in a train station. So as as he's gone in there, I run in behind him with my code. We've took the we took the container containing the money. But as we looked up, there's already old Bill in the, inside the um, train station. Police already there, armed um, um, police. Because mm. this was the year when um, all the trains and the tube stations in London were on high alert because of some terrorist attacks, which I totally forgot about. So I run in this ple- um, train station, took the money, looked up. There was like 20 old Bill there already with, with their guns out and that. So I managed to throw the cassette back at them and run away. When you talk about cassette, that cassette's got where the money's in, isn't it? It's something that contains all the money. Yeah, that's right. So that's what they use the cassette carries to the cash machine. Then they load the yeah. cash, cash machine with the cassettes. Yeah. Apparently you come out and throw a few gang signs or dollar signs. Oh, my days. They are so stupid. So anyway, I've got back to the getaway car and my driver wasn't in the car. 
So <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, what the hell? I've looked over, he's having a piss over there. So I've had to carry on running because I've still got the police chasing me down the road. So once I got away from them, I come in the middle of the road to tell my driver to come. But when I'm telling them to come, the police to the police it looks like I'm doing money signs to them. Like, like, but I wasn't. But I may. I swear to God, I looked behind me and a big riot van was right behind me, a police van. So I just looked at the the code he was with. I said, "Listen, we're getting guilty straight away. Just go guilty." And what what sentence you give for that? Uh, we we only got three years because it looked so unprofessional. Clearly, we didn't know what we was doing. The judge probably felt sorry for us. Gave us three years in which we served uh, half of that, which was eighteen months. How did you find the, the, the boys' homes, juvenile justice centres? I'll be honest with you, I, I don't mind them. Because I've got so much friends in, in the prisons in the UK, there, I've got friends in every single prison in the UK. So as soon as I got to, uh, it's called Feltham, H&P Feltham, Young Offenders. As soon as I got there, I had all my friends already on the wing waiting for me. Well, for me, I've done, I, I done the boys' homes myself, and our boys' homes here in Australia are full of pedophiles. They just were rampant in there and a lot of sexual and physical abuse, but but what I found was there was like a college, you know. I learned how to steal Porsches there. <laughs> I learned how, you know, my my offending escalated. It was like I was just a, a car thief that used to jiggle cars and go for joyrides. I came out of there stealing Porsches, breaking into sports stores and department stores. And and how did you find it? It was that sort of like a college for you? It was, it was like a big meeting camp. Like, I started meeting new people with different ideas and thinking, oh, okay, is this how you do that then? It's like a school for criminals. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. definitely is. The, the College of Knowledge. All right. So you get out. Did you ever think to yourself, I'm going to go straight, I'm going to get a job, I'm going to be a law-abiding citizen? No, I, I don't have none of that in, in thought, you know. So <laughs> I've, I've come home, but I've been selling weed since I was about 15 years old as well on the side, so I've always had a bit of money around me. So when I was released from that sentence, I come home, I remember putting on one of my jackets and I used to hide money in the sleeves. So as I come home from that sentence, I put my arm in the jacket and I found, I found some money and um, I ended up going to buy more weed with it and I started selling drugs again. Yeah. I, lo- I, lost, I lasted about six weeks and I went back to prison. <laughs> I remember when I was robbing banks. So Saturday night, if I ran out of money, my mate would always give me money and so then my girl, I've just got to go and lend some money. She goes, no, there's a whole heap of money in one of your jackets. And I went into one of my jackets and there was $5,000 there. Perfect. That I'd forgotten about. How good's that? Oh, man, that's, that's like a win. I was so happy and I thought I'd have to throw one of the boys to borrow some money. So when that yeah. happened, I was like, touch, here we go, let's go again. And then I didn't realise, when I come home, I was under surveillance straight away. Um, so they was actually filming me outside my house, passing parcels through my door. On that occasion, I gave the fella the drugs. It was like two ounces of weed, which was back then about 240 pounds. So the police have stopped him outside my house, searched him, found the weed. But my, my uncle was watching the whole thing. I'm unaware of what's going on. So my uncle's phone me said, Lou, your mate's getting um, searched outside the house. So I knew, I knew what was going down. So I loaded up my duffel bags with all the gear shot off out the back, um, ended up getting nicked about three days later for attempted supply class, I think it was class C at the time. So they, they gave me 10 months in prison for um, supplying cannabis. Was this stage, did you, was that your first encounter in an adult jail? Uh, yeah, I went to uh, yeah. H&P Wandsworth. How old were you at that stage? Uh, 18. Yeah. Mate, the big step up, isn't it, from the boys' homes to prison? 
Yeah, even that though, I've got to this prison and um, you know when you go through reception and they give you food yeah. and that, all my pals were already on the rece- um, on the servery doing all the food. So when I got there, they was all excited to see me. Homecoming reunion. Oh, it's, it's, I'm from a place called Mount Druitt. It's similar to where you're from. And I don't know, half the prison system when I was in jail was from Mount Druitt. We stuck together like shit in a blanket. You know what I mean? You fought one, you fought a lot of us. That's, did you? Did you? Did you get much trouble in prisons over there? I went through. I, I seen a lot of bad shit, but um, you know, I had six fights in twenty three years. You know what I mean? I never had many much trouble in, in per se, but um, just because we stuck together, the Mount Druitt blokes stuck together, and we were a force. You know, we got some pretty violent jails here, but I've always looked at English and the American sort of thing as you guys are the next step up compared to us. You know, you guys are sort of like the the pioneers, the leaders, as it were. You yeah. know what I mean? If you're – whatever crimes you are doing over there, we're doing them over here three years later. By the time it's shutting down over here, it's kicking off. Yeah. And was there any sort of rehabilitation afforded to you in prison? I'm big on this because there's none over here. Do you know what? They, they do loads of courses in these prisons, but some, all the boys are doing these courses just to tick the boxes, just to come home early and either get tag or go to open prisons. I, I think if you want the help, it's there. But like I said, yeah. a lot of people are just doing these courses to tick the boxes and go home early, tell them what they want to hear and go home. In between that, did your dad come home in between? Yeah, so my dad come home. He come home 2011. He was just finishing off a 10 and a half year prison sentence for security vans. And what mate, what was that like, having your dad home? Oh, mate, it was it was wicked. Because he's he's been away for so many years, he's more like my big brother than my dad. Like, he can't really tell me off. But I, I love him to pieces. He's such a funny character, and you'd actually really get on with him, you know? Well, I'm the same with my son. My son thinks he's Tupac. <laughs> he, he, <laughs> he wants to fight everyone, and and I say, mate, you can't do that. And he goes, but why you did it? So I'll give him a job, and I said, mate, I'll just – I said, I'll give you a job. You work for me. I've got a legitimate business. I – I help survivors of institutional abuse. I employ 21 people. I've got 16,500 clients. We, we help survivors of institutional sexual abuse get compensation. So, and I get a lot of prison calls, right? I get about 30 prison calls a day. And I said, all I need you to do is answer my phone. I'll give you 1,500 a week. And then he starts saying to me, Dad, can we start work at 12 o'clock? I said, mate, we, we kick off early, you know what I mean? And he goes, nah, that, that working life ain't for me. I want to sell drugs. I want to, you know, be a criminal. What can I say? It's hard. All you can do is try and give him that a bit of direction, but sometimes we got to work it out for ourselves, you know. I'm 36 That's years really... old now, and it took me a very long time to work it all out for myself. I love this this whole thing. Like, I look at you as my son, and I'm, I'm in your dad's shoes right now, interviewing yeah. you. I'm going to ask you questions because I want to know from you what my son thinks. You can tell me how he thinks, you know what I mean? So I, I, I love that aspect of this interview that you can sort of – you're going to give me plenty of answers for what I want to know. And yeah. I'm sure you and I are going to stay in contact because, man, you're, you're a dead set gem of knowledge. Your journey of working through your relationship with your dad, can you clarify that? Talk us through that a bit. Do you know what? One thing I'll say about my dad, um, as much as he's been out of my life majority of the time, He's always tried to direct me in the, in the right path. He's always tried to say, Lou, go and get a trade. Um, he's phoned all his friends to give me a day's work. 
but it's all good him telling me to do these things. But if you're not doing it, dad, why the hell am I going to go and start laying bricks and stuff and that, you know? You've got to yeah. lead by example, I think. Tell me, what was it like, mate? You end up in prison, you're two out, you're sharing a cell with your dad. How's What's that like? Do you know, when I was sharing a cell with my dad, as much as it was fun and stuff, I could see he was hurting. I could, mm. I could see he was hurting. To look him in the face every morning when he's making me a cup of tea, he's thinking, what have I done? What have I done to get my son in prison? So he's had to live with a lot of guilt. And we've actually had a really open and big discussion about these things. And he's like, Lou, I'm really sorry for what I've done. I wish I could have done this for you and stuff. So he has a lot of regret, but I've I've already accepted everything. I was always going to do it. Even if I didn't do it with my dad, a lot of my friends were as involved in doing armed robberies or selling drugs. So I was always kind of going to go down that path anyway. So my dad can't take all the responsibility for me. Yeah, because some things are environmental, aren't they? It's just where you grow up, what other people are doing. I remember when I was a kid watching the armed robbers come home from prison, looking fit, sharp, all the sports gear on, and uh, within weeks, the nice car, everything just happens for them really quick, where the worker is up at the bus stop looking miserable, coming home miserable, and nothing's happening. Yeah. I, I get it. I get it. That life really looks romantic from the outset, but when you're in it, you realise it's different, don't you? Yeah. Do you know what? I've, I've been out of prison for uh, just over a year now, and I'm not, I'm not up to no good anymore, and it feels nice knowing my front door's not going to be kicked off. Yeah, like I'm. I'm li- yeah. I can sleep peacefully now. How did you end up in jail with your dad? So um, basically, my my dad, he heard who I was running around with, like working with, grafting, doing what we do, sort of thing. There was no way of my dad stopping me from doing it. So like, he kind of thought it'd be best if I just stay with him. At least if I do do something with him, you know, there's not going to be no one grassing on each other and stuff like that. So obviously, we both got Nick for a security van. Uh, we took like £45,000 off a um, security man delivering to a cash machine. We actually got away. Everything went fine. It didn't go fine, actually. I had a full-on fight with the security man that day. So when I got out of, when I got out of the Jeep, I stuck the gun to him. And when I stuck the gun to him, he swung a punch for me. And over here, they wear the helmets. So I've had to gun buck him underneath the helmet with a gun. But I've hit him about five times. You know when you get tunnel vision, you don't realise how much times you've actually hit someone. But mm. I've actually knocked him out on top of the cassette, on, on top of money. So I've had to lift him off to get the money and get back in the car and go. He was a big boy too, wasn't he? He was a powerlifter or something, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a British powerlifting champion. And he spent 15 years in like Iraq or Afghanistan as well. So he's a pretty like odd bastard. If he grabbed me, I'd have been in trouble. Yeah, well, nightmare. So how we got nicked on that one, three days after that robbery took place, they kicked my mum's door off. So they, they had, two weeks before the robbery took place, they had my car driving in convoy with the car that was used about five miles further down the road from uh, where it happened. So from that, that's how they got their lead on to us. But they didn't find, they didn't find no money in the house. They found um, no gun residue, no guns, no money. All the witnesses said they didn't see what colour the people was. One of them said I was tall and slim. There was there was very circumstantial evidence, so we both were not guilty on it. It was mainly our passport got us guilties. My dad's just finished ten and a half years for like uh, cash and transit himself. So, and they're allowed to bring that in. That you've got form for stick ups. Are they allowed to bring it into a trial? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they've only just introduced that over I, here. 
I was on bail for like nine months because they had no evidence on us. They was following me everywhere. They even signed up to my local gym where I used to train. They was asking the people if I've got a Pacific locker that I use in there. They was looking in the ceiling to see if I've got any firearms in there. It was loads of little circumstantial bits that kind of added up or got us a guilty. And what, what sentence did you get for that? I got 16 years. Well, I got 16 years for the um, for conspiracy to commit armed robbery. Nine years for the gun to run uh, concurrent. And then I got an extra year on top for the £45,000 that was taken. So I ended up with 17. Wow. And what was it? Was, that, was there a non-parole period on that or you were just 17 straight? Yeah, 17 do half. So I'd done eight and a half years. But my dad got yeah. um, a nine-year life sentence for it. So my dad had to do the whole nine years before he sits the parole board. So he's still waiting for his answer now. All right. So you're sitting in the cell. Tell me this, you walk in with a bed pack, your dad, was he in the cell first or were you in the first? We we went we both went in the same cell at the same time. Yeah. But um I'll tell you one good thing what come of it. My dad got me into a really good routine. Like yeah. we we both wake up at the same well, we wouldn't wake up at the same time. What he would do, it was really annoying, yeah. He used to put the kettle on first thing in the morning, knowing I'm asleep, and it'd be like, Lou, do you want a cup of tea, mate? But what he'd do when he's making his cup of tea, he'd get the spoon and start smashing it on the cup, making loads of noise to wake me up. Oh, idiosyncrasies in a cell. Mate, isn't it funny when you share a cell with someone, they can, they can do the most annoying things? Everything bugs you, done it after a while? Everything, I, everything. I used to watch him making his bed and even that used to really annoy me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, I've heard a previous comment where you said my dad was built for jail. He loves it. I swear to God, I've never ever heard him moan one day about being in prison. He walks around the whole prison with a smile on his face. He says good morning to absolutely everyone. He loves it. What do you think that is? I don't know. It's routine for him. I think it's, it's, he's in proper routine in prison, whereas outside, he don't know what he's doing. Even now, when he comes out on home leaves... He comes down, he don't know what to do. He gets bored. He'd be sit, sat down mm. for 10 minutes, have a cup of tea, and he's got to get up and go again. Yeah. Just on the move. Do you reckon he's fighting his own demons, his own traumas? You can see it. You can yeah. see it. Like my, I only know half of my dad's story. Obviously, he wouldn't tell me everything. But you, you, you can see he's like got a lot. He's fighting a lot of demons. Man, I'm the same. I'm the same. I, I, I can't sit down for two. Well, I'm only learning how to sort of sit with my, 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 my own head, and I've always got to be on the move. I've always got to be doing I'm a workaholic. Yeah, and I, you know, and I get it. I see that. I see them guys in jail, and, and I've. When you said that, when you said that to me uh, in that interview last night, I thought, I know a heap of them blokes that are built for jail, you know. And some the young blokes most probably would have looked at me at one stage and said, "You're the same. You're built for it." Yeah, I, I couldn't do a day of it now. Um, <laughs> no, no, I definitely, I definitely couldn't do one more day of it. I've got a little little girl to look after now. And that absolutely yeah. broke my heart when I left her. I left her when she was two years old. And I was with her every single day for them two years. And to leave her for eight and a half years, that killed me. That proper broke me, that did. I'm the same. My, my, my son was getting beaten up by his stepdad and I had to take responsibility. I wasn't hate. I had, a mate of mine, yeah, a mate of mine said to me, Russell, you, you know, you can hate on the stepdad, but you put your son in that position. And when... You know, when you got to swallow that pill. Oh, yeah. It's a hard one to swallow, huh? So, um, you know, I had to make some changes. And um, tell me about your release story. Tell me about, like, what was it like the day getting out? The day I was getting out, someone's got a smile on her face over here because she'd come and pick me up from the prison gates. Yeah. 
Um, I remember just being so overwhelmed with everything, man. I just couldn't sit still. I'm just constantly fidgeting in the car on the way home. Obviously, we first stop off, we had to went to the hotel, and then we went um, we went down, and I went and met my daughter. Everything just seems so unreal, man. And I just wanted to hold my daughter and just not let her go. I can see the love in your eyes for your daughter. I know I watched a couple of interviews on you. When you talk about her, you get this. Your, your whole posture changes and you just light up like a fucking sunflower. Oh, mm. Russell, it killed me. Like, I said this a couple of times. On my first ever prison visit with her, when she's come up to see me, see when it's come time to leave him, Russell, and, and she doesn't understand, I can't come with you. And she's like, Daddy, you come home now. Yeah. And I'm looking at her like lump in my throat. I'm like, Hallie, I can't come home, my darling. And mum would pick her up and take her. Then I'd go back to my cell feeling sad. Like, it'd be nice at the time when I'm on a visit, but when it's time to leave, that's when I'd be like, oh my God, what have I done? I'll quickly tell you a story. I got, um, I got out of prison. I'd done my eight years. And back then, you could get one second past midnight and it's classes the next day. And my girl and that picked me up on a Saturday night and took me to this club and Oxford Street in Sydney. And it's sort of semi gay club, but you know. Anyway, so I'm in this nightclub. All the guy, the gay guys are coming up to me going, mate, so when did you come out? And I'm saying, yeah, oh, tonight. They thought it was my coming out party. <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, God. And I was, and, oh, man. Is that your last sentence? Is that the eight that you've just done? Yeah, yeah. So that's the eight, eight and a half years I've just finished. I got released the end of 2021, December 2021, I got released. I've just been trying to be a dad again. And um, my daughter's in big school now. She goes to secondary school. So I'm just trying to turn up as much as I can and just be a father figure in her life again, you know? Yeah. When you were in prison, what was that What was that like? You know, some people just kick along and they're going along and this is a, they couldn't give a fuck and, and it doesn't bother them. But when did it start to bother you to the point of wanting to change? Like I said, it was that first visit with my daughter. Them words, what yeah. she said to me, you come home now, daddy. They stuck with me for them eight and a half years, and I realised I've got to, I've got to make a change in my life. See, with arm robberies and stuff, I used to get really excited about these things and oh, just man. you know, like the planning and I'm gonna run down this road and jump in this car. I used to get excited by all of this stuff, but them words changed changed my life when I was in prison. So I knew I had to come out and be a dad. Let's talk about that because people talk to me about they go oh. You ever skydived? You know what I mean? The thrill of skydiving. I go, oh, they go, skydiving's great. It's the biggest thrill. And I go, yeah. You ever robbed a bank? And I go, because it's like skydiving with someone going to shoot at you. You know, what was the thrill like for you when you were doing them? Oh, do you know what? On, 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 on some robberies and that, when, you know when you just don't know what you're going to get and you get a nice haul or something? Yeah. I was always excited what we're going to get on this day and stuff like that, you know? But for me, the excitement come from the getting away. It wasn't like the doing yeah. it was the easy part, but I was getting yeah. away, like making sure you got cars on certain roads or motorbikes on certain roads, the swapping over of things, the changing of clothes. The whole planning, I get it, I get it. But then for me was when the anxiety kicks on, kicks in. You know, two o'clock in the morning you wake up and you go, oh, did I make that mistake? Or, you know, when yeah. you've replayed it. Yeah, fully get it. So like you know when you used to leave like um, the getaway car, you thinking, did I touch anything the day before, or is there anything possibly what I could have left in there? You start yeah. questioning yourself, don't you? And then you start seeing cars turn up. You start seeing yeah. One thing about coppers, the the when the surveillance all kicks off and all that, 
you know, that anxiety that goes along with that. And I told these young blokes about that now. I said, yeah, it's all exciting. But the reality of, like we just talked about, the anxiety, and then they start turning up. And you know, because blokes like us know when we're being followed. Yes, you do, yeah. I remember um, yeah. they had a, um, outside my house, they had a blue transit van. They had it there for about six months. But the way they had it stationed, you knew, I knew straight away it was a surveillance van. I remember yeah. on one occasion, it was, a, it was a late night, and I got the youngsters on the estate to go and smash the windows out on it. And yeah. I remember the old builders come from everywhere. Yeah. I seen one, and I could see the camera in the headrest. They weren't in it, but I could see two cameras in each, like in headrest and all that. One of the funny ones for me was, I was getting followed, and my girlfriend was a school teacher, and and I dropped off at work one day, and this bloke was waiting out front of the school. And he's reading a newspaper, but it was upside down. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I went, yeah, sweet. And then, he, and, he, and then he just followed me, and I was like, fuck. But my your heart sinks. It's not a good feeling, cause, isn't it? It's not a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. I remember on another occasion, um, I went to do a bit of work, and I remember there was a, la- a lady at the bus stop. But a bus has already come and gone again, and she still stayed at the same bus stop. But only one bus goes there, so I knew mm. I was being I was being watched. So if I, they was waiting for me to go and do that bit of work, because as soon as we went further up the road, there was more armed police. So they was actually waiting for me to do that bit of work. Did you have sort of any like single like over here? You'll get one or two coppers that get obsessed about arresting you. Did you did you encounter any of that? Like you had one or two of them that were just obsessed. Yeah, I had one called um, PC Bottomley, Alistair. Yeah. He used to always on your PC bottom. Shout out to you, mate. Mate, yeah, he's retired. Hope now. you're choking on your coffee, mate. He's actually retired now. He was the one who arrested me when the football manager got hit in the head. Yeah. He was the first. It started there. Yeah. Do you think a lot of that sort of would have come from your dad, like a bit of heat off your dad? Yeah, no, it definitely did. Where my dad is a very well-respected person in like, South London, me and my bro- older brother kind of took over from all of that, you know. Let's talk about your brother too. I really want to touch on your brother, you know what I mean? What sort of bloke's your brother? Because I know he's two years older than you, yeah? Yeah. He's been in and out of prison, but my brother was more into selling drugs than doing robbery Robbery. So he, he's been prison. Like he got a seven-year sentence for supplying Class A. He's had a. Com- he's when you say Class A, what's that? Is that heroin? Heroin and or- cr- uh, crack. Yeah. Yeah. Crack yeah. cocaine. So he got a seven-year prison sentence for that. Been found not guilty on a couple other very, very, very big cases. Um, I'm gonna save that gossip there for for a book. But same with yourself. You beat you beat a murder charge, didn't you? Yeah. So I've been, I've been on them sort of. Tra- I've been on. I, I try not to talk about them things there because I like, I still have a lot of respect for like people's families and stuff. And so I just so I just try and stay away from that story. You know, like, I've been to prison for that. Been found not guilty. So I, yeah. I just try and stay away from that. But being found not guilty on something like that is a pretty amazing feeling. Like your life. Mate, your life, that was a big decision, man. Your life was going either way, 30 years. Yeah. I remember I was in uh, H&P Belmarsh. It's one of the highest security prisons in the UK. And I was in there for about 18 months with terrorists, uh, people doing 40-year life sentences. I was, with, I was with some real, real, like, murderers and very big people in that prison. Yeah. And, mate, the relief... Because, you know, man, I, I just see, I see, I used to watch blokes come back from court. They got those big, man, you just see 
they're destroyed. They're not the same once they get one of those big sentences, are they? They're not. Like I try and I try and stay in contact with all of my friends who are doing like thirty year sentences and that just to just to try and keep their heads up. One of my friends got released uh, a couple months ago. He got eight years life sentence, but he done twenty two years out of it. He got released a month ago. So I'm trying to get him back. Keep going, but tell tell me about your friend. You're getting released. Or yeah, so my friend, he he finished a he got eight year sentence, but he done twenty two years out of it. He he got released about a month, just a, a few months ago now. So he's settling back into society now. Like he didn't know about camera phones and all of this stuff, like Instagram, Snapchat. He has no idea about these things. So to see him with his, he's st- he's still got his head on his shoulders as well. He's a very very intelligent person, but to see him settling back down into society is crazy. After that long, you sort of do you, do you offer him advice. Does he bring you and ask you for advice and stuff like that? Not really. He gives me advice. Funny enough. Well, I think you know with yourself. I've been out of prison five and a half years now, and I've established a really good business. Sort of your story is amazing. You you know, like I don't I don't know if you know the power of your story and what you can do to these young fellas. Like lived experience. Yes. Yeah, so, so I've been I've been invited into a few schools o- over here now. I actually had a video phone call with one school the other day, which was really good. They're all excited to see me. So I'm going to be going into schools and stuff. How does it feel knowing that you're making a positive impact through your own trauma and your own story? Do you know what? Just to, just to talk to these young kids and see the way they look at me, it just it, it makes me feel good. You know, I feel like I'm giving something back to them and that, you know. I feel appreciated. I yeah, man. And I think, oh, man, I watched your story. I was blown away by it. Like, I've got a pretty... Hectic story myself, but I, I, your 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 story makes mine look like a nursery rhyme. And um, how do you deal with your trauma? Because you went through some, man. Do you know what? I'm I'm still de- I'm still dealing with it. And what, another thing I'd say is I put my mum through a lot. Like my mum yeah. suffers really bad now of like mental health, and me and my brothers and my dad we're we're part to do with that, you know. You know, like oh, getting the house the house raided every other week and stuff, getting our phones taken. Us being in and out of prison, my mum dragging us on prison visits to visit my dad. It was a lot of stress on her, you know. So we don't realise what we put our family members through. Oh, for me, I started trauma counselling about 10 years ago and it made me realise what trauma, because we don't know what trauma is. We don't know we're in it. Yeah. What do you say to the people that you traumatised? I apologise. You know, um, see, when, I do, when, you, when you do these armed robberies and stuff, you don't want no one to get hurt. You literally just yeah. want to be in and out and go. It's like you go into character. And yeah. unfortunately, this fellow on this last case swung for me first and my natural reaction was to hit him. And um, yeah. yeah, I do I do regret hitting him because I, I knocked a few of his teeth up. Yeah, I get it. Mate, boxing and training, tell me that. That's a big part of your own mental health, yeah? Yeah, so I'm, I'm in the gym quite a lot. I've got a bit of a dodgy shoulder at the minute. I was doing a lot of like white-collar boxing before I went to prison, like, 10 years ago now I wanted to get back into it as well but at the moment I've got a dodgy shoulder so I'm just doing what I can in the gym at the minute um, I've got a little boxing club in Battersea called Carney's Community and work with a lot of the youngsters from the estate on there a lot of the challenging ones uh, yeah. so we just take them on the pads get them on the bags get them doing their little circuits um, so I'm, I'm, I'm slowly giving, giving back to the community you know it's important to you that, isn't it? It's important for you to give back to the community. It definitely is. I don't want them following in my footsteps. I missed out on loads. Like, I'm 36 years old. I've done 12 years of that in prison now. 
you know, I, I'll tell you something now. I, I, I sat in jail and I um, and I wanted to be involved in boxing. And I'll tell you what happened to me last year. I took a fighter to Manchester to fight for a world title eliminator on uh, Derek Chisora, Joseph Parker undercard in front of 12,500 people. And, you know, I, I love the boxing game because the, box, the boxing game really embraces people like us, doesn't it? Yeah. It, 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 it suits me. I'd love to take part in a boxing fight. I'd love to call someone out to fight. Uh, the other day, I, I called out that um, Ryan Taylor, and he off he off looks at me as what well. it looks like me. So I thought it'd be a good idea to call him out, get people talking, because you just never know who's watching these things, you know. Who's that Ben? He was a forensic patient doing life. Do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, He's over um, there. Hatchet. Yeah, Ben Hatchet. Ben Hatchet. I don't know when we follow each other on Instagram, but he, he seems to be doing well with a bare knuckle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm not really into the I'm not into the bare knuckle though. I'd rather just the boxing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think boxing's a gentleman's sport. Yeah, so I'd I'd really like I'd love to call someone out. Like over here, I'll, I'll tell you something. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm making a career about to tell my story, but your story's so powerful and I, you know, I I can't encourage you enough. Are you, are you on TikTok? Yeah, I'm on TikTok, but they cancelled me. I had to make a new one. Yeah, oh, no, it's dangerous, isn't it? Last Saturday night, someone I got reported for nudity, and I can assure you, I was fully clothed. <laughs> what things have you struggled with when you've come out of prison? Well, lucky for me, um, I got released from an open prison, so I was settling. That's a minimum back security, in. yeah. Minimum security. Yeah, so I was I was coming home like once every every other week, so I was slowly getting back into society. I remember going to was it McDonald's? I remember going to McDonald's, and I, I was I was a bit scared to go and buy it myself, so I had to ask my girlfriend to go and buy the McDonald's for me because I didn't want to go to the counter. They got some new computer yeah. screens, watchable touchscreen oh, no. stuff, and I don't know how to use it. So I got really embarrassed and that's why I started to do it. Man, man I, I get it. You know, I'll tell you what, I couldn't send an email. I couldn't use an ATM. I just didn't know how to break them open and steal from them. And yeah, use the tractor to take them out of the walls. <laughs> but I didn't know how to use one. Mate, um, the relationship with your community, tell me how important that is to you. I'm I'm really trying to build our community back in that, you know, but it's very difficult because all the trouble from my generation has now passed on to the youngsters and they're still going to war with the other side. So it's it's really hard to um, break break these break these chains here now, you know. Some of them listen to me and some of them don't. But even if just one listens to me out of ten, then I'm saving one of them, do you know what I mean? Hundred percent. I saw that you're in prison with some of these guys you were at war with yeah. and ended up getting to know a few of them and, and actually liking them. Yeah, it's crazy. I remember I got to a prison called uh, HMP Only and I was about 17 stone at the time. I was a lump. And I remember coming onto the wing with my bags and I looked upstairs and I recognised all of their faces from like music videos and stuff. And I was like, here we go. So I said to the officer, what cell am I in? And she pointed to the cell where they all were standing outside. So I remember going up the stairs. I thought, I'm just going to pull it on them straight away. And I said, I just pointed at the biggest one. And I said, do you want to fight me? And they all started looking at the floor and that. And, oh, um, what a good feeling that is. I, I may, I'm so happy he said no, because he was massive. He was yeah. massive. <laughs> I'm so happy he said yeah. no. But um, as the weeks and months went past, like we was giving a little nod of the head, a little wave. Then we, we started talking, man. And 
I really got on with them. Like there's in there's in each other's cells, messing around, playing computers, going to the gym together. And it's just so sad to think that just because you're from that area and we're from this area, we don't get on. You're talking about you got a bit of backlash from your old crew uh, because you were actually they wanted you to do something and yeah. you, you weren't gonna yeah yeah. No, Can you it, talk it, us through that? Yeah, it's sad. So I, I've done six years at this point in this prison. And I remember I had a phone, I had a phone in my cell. And I remember getting, getting a message saying, oh, uh, Lou, you know, so-and-so is in that prison. I said, yeah, I've seen him. And he's like, are you going to do him anything? I said, no. This fella who messaged me, I've not heard from him in six years. And that's the first thing he says to me is so-and-so is in that prison. I said, get mm. out of here. I locked him off. It's, it's not uncommon to for these young blokes to be involved in gangs and, and that sort of stuff and they just the whole prison sentence they don't hear from them yeah you know, they just wipe them got a saying over here wipe him like a dirty ass I'm pretty lucky I, I had like five really staunch friends who stood by me from like the whole of the eight and a half years like sent me a few quid in every other month looked after my daughter and people like that are really rare to find and that you know so rare. them people I appreciate them so much yeah yeah Getting out, mate. What are you up to these days? You know what I mean. What are you, are you working? Are you, you you do have you have you completed your cert three? And I've done. Yep, I've, I've done my level three personal training course. Um, right now, um, I've got a thing called gym bars, so it's going to be like short interviews and workouts with like UK rappers, sports stars, social influencers. Um, so I've done a couple little YouTube videos. I've done a little mini documentary on my YouTube as well. I lose my confidence sometimes. You know, sometimes I wake up full of confidence and then other times I wake up thinking, what am I even doing? This ain't going to work. But that's when you've got to push yourself and keep going. You think that's from the amount of jail you've done? You've lost your confidence? You lose, not lost it, but lose it from time to time? You do. It it, it, it comes and goes. But what I've, what I've come to realise, you've got to do the things you don't like doing in order to progress. So even though I don't want to do Mike it. Mike Tyson says it. Yeah, you've got to Mike Tyson going. says it. Do the things that you hate doing like you love them. Uh, oh, do you know what I listened I think I listened to that on your page or I swear it's yesterday yeah yeah and it really motivated yeah. me mate you're an amazing guy I think I'd love to get you I go into the boys homes and I go and talk to the gangs and they're called African gangs over here but they were born here you know um, Sudanese and um, I go on, and they love hearing stories like I'd love to be able to get you on the screen so you could talk to them if we could work it out some way because you're you know You've got an amazing story and you've got this amazing ability. You're going to change a lot of kids' lives for the better. Yeah, do you know, when I see when I done a video called uh, um, The School the other day, to see all of their little faces smiling, it made my day. And I was with my daughter that day as well in the car and she couldn't believe it. She was so happy. You know, I can tell she's proud of me. Yeah. It's a good feeling, eh? Yeah. Good feeling. I'll tell you what happened to me. On my last sentence, I was being away for four and a half years. Had two weeks to go and the coppers turned up with some old robbery charges. I was parole granted, put myself into a rehab at four and a half years clean, parole granted. And, you know, and I went through a process where I, I ended up getting out on bail. The judge saw me for these coppers. I went to a rehab, done that, and I kicked up for my business. My business's name is the voice of a survivor and we help survivors of institutional sexual abuse. By the time I went to court, I had, I had my kids in court. And the first time a judge has ever given me a rap, he said, you're a community asset. I don't want to send you away um, because of being disservice. And my kids were just proud as punch in court, you know. And it's a good feeling watching your kids be proud of you, isn't it? I'll tell you what I did do on my first, my first year. Six months ago, I won the Father's Day race at school. 
Wow. So, yeah, um, all the fathers had a race at the end of her sports day, and I won. Oh. And her, her little face was running around saying, that's my dad. Oh, wow. Yeah. That brings tears to my eyes. I'm just happy I didn't fall over. <laughs> We're going to have to wind up, mate. Honestly, Lewis, you're a dead set legend, mate, and I just think, mate, you are going to change the world, man. I really believe in you, man. I hope so. I hope so. You are, man. So many families are going to benefit from you, and... um you're going to save a lot of kids from living a very traumatic life for your telling your story, man. So I wish you nothing but the best and a heart full of love, mate. I appreciate it, man. And it's nice talking to you. Thank you.